Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. It's Questions Day, Kieran, and we start with two questions from a Kevin Day. (laughs) I don't normally allow two questions from one person, but as I am technically the host of this thing, I've nodded it through. Firstly, and... uh, I know the answer to this question. I, I wrote I wrote the script on Friday because I was busy yesterday today, uh, and I wrote this question thinking there'd be a comedy answer. But did you come through Storm Eunice unscathed? <laughs> um, not quite. At twelve thirty-seven p.m. precisely on uh, on Friday, uh, everything everything went out, including the local telephone mast. So it, it, we were scrabbling around, um, and it, it then. It, it, it then was quite unpleasant for a couple of days uh, and we, we were told uh, that we weren't getting any, any power back until Tuesday uh, so I, I was I was busy organizing my sock drawer because there's there's no television to watch um, and uh, at, at about half past five whilst I'm wearing a, a Davy lamp on my head to organize my socks um, the, uh, the, the, the all, all the lights came on and we got very very giddy so um, yes we're able to record which is fantastic news yes because uh, I was about literally about to record an apology saying there's no pod this week and I was I was going to be hilarious about the fact that the Baroness had to have warm champagne and you had to have cold cheese and, you had to have cold cheese and Guinness soup but um, if you will live in the badlands of Sussex Kieran then this sort of thing is going to happen to you so we were Indeed. we were we were relatively fine. The only thing I learned from Storm Eunice is that Smudge, the cat, needs to lose a bit of weight uh, because well, while fencing trees, squirrels, tiles, and bricks was swirling all over the place, she was sitting happily in the garden, lick, <laughs> licking her paws. It turns out the only two immovable things in in my street were the cat and my bottle bin. That wasn't going anywhere either. So, um, the second question, Kira, is, is a serious one. Several Derby fans have made reference on social media to a mid-season change of rules by the EFL with regard to FFP, which might be adversely affecting Derby. Do you know what that is? Well, um, what happened was there has been uh, an emergency general meeting at the EFL um, where they have decided to continue with effectively an additional COVID allowance when doing the profitability and sustainability calculations for 2021-22. So it looks as if uh, clubs are going to be allowed to claim around about £2.5 million in respect of lost uh, lost match day revenue and, uh, and stroke or additional costs incurred uh, as a result of COVID. Now, I, I think the Derby fans from reading this seem to think that if you, if you take a look at the press release from the EFL, it also spoke about £5 million worth of uh, allowances for 2019-20 and 2020-21. The, 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 the press release did come across as a little bit ambiguous. Um, right. But having gone back and looked at the EFL handbook, um, the, the clubs did agree these rules uh, in, in those previous seasons or to affect those previous seasons. Um, I, th- I think that the Derby fans felt that they were perhaps getting a bit of a, a hard deal on this because in addition to the 12-point penalty, uh, for going into administration, the EFL and the administrators agreed uh, a nine-point further deduction. And with the fantastic form that Derby have been showing recently, uh, you know that that nine points could that additional nine points could be the, the difference between yeah. staying up and not going up. Um, and um, that's I think that's that's what Pete has uh, uh, aggrieved uh, some of the Derby fans. But looking at the agreement between the EFL and the administrators effectively they said instead of going through uh, Derby's expenses on a forensic basis on a line-by-line basis what we will do is accept that there had been an overspend and 
we will just agree for the the two or three years which that could have impacted an overall nine point deduction. Now it could have been a bigger points deduction, or it could have been a lower points deduction if they had the the time to investigate to to a much greater degree. But when when that decision was made, the administrators were anxious to get a definitive. Uh, agreement with the EFL to be able to go to a prospective owner, to a preferred bidder, and say, this is what you are buying, Derby County with a 21-point deduction, as opposed to a, a 12 plus 8 or a 12 plus 12 or a 12 yes. plus 15. So it was it was a compromise deal. I can understand the frustration from the Derby County point of view. Um, it, you know, it's a shame that the club is we're still in this preferred bidder status because it's not yet been announced um, so so far uh, so far down the road. Yeah, it, it is very easy to understand Derby fans' frustration. Of course it is because they're, they're looking for somebody to blame it. It doesn't help the EFL. You know, we have approached them and they, again, understandably, say that we can't talk about this situation specifically while, while the case is going on, uh, administration is going on. It, it doesn't help that Mel Morris... Is is blaming the EFL amongst many other people, but it, it, as you say, it, it was quite ambiguous that EFL statement. It, it would be quite nice if the EFL could find a way of uh, unequivocally pointing out to Derby fans that there is no vendetta against their club. There's no animus against Derby County, but uh, they're, they're kind of and there isn't. I mean, I, yeah. I've, we we have had some conversations and. Um, I think the the EFL are between the devil and the deep blue sea because yeah. this was an emergency general meeting and this additional two point five million pound allowance was agreed. And the people when people talk about the EFL, they assume that it's Rick Parry and Trevor Birch sitting in a hollowed out volcano making making the rules, and, and that's simply not the case. Um, it is the members of the EFL themselves that vote through these decisions, and you've got to have a two-thirds majority. So at least 16 clubs out of the 24 in the championship agreed to these rules. Now, it could be that the Derby County administrators have agreed to these rules as well. Yeah, we, we don't know the individual uh, votes, uh, that, but I would imagine it would have been a, a, a fairly comprehensive vote in favour. Uh, our first question, Kieran, comes from Ian Sherman. Uh, it's a question I like. And in particular, there's a little bit of context. Somebody released on social media this week uh, a clip from the Croydon Advertiser, I think from 1971, with the Palace chairman, Ray Bloy, saying, uh, that's it, Burthead is getting no more money this season. We've spent £90,000 on players. It's ridiculous. What's going on? It's got to stop. Uh, the Ian Sherman's question is, as transfer price inflation has accelerated over the last 20 years. I was wondering the following. How far down the top clubs do you have to go before their recent historical spending matches the spending of all the other 72 non-Premier League clubs combined? Would just one club alone match it, or will it take two or three of the top six before you get there? Right. Um, I... I had a restricted amount of time from uh, when electricity oh, returned in, in, in which to uh, do this research. But I've, I've gone back to 2015 onwards, which I think is a reasonable amount of time, um, reasonable number of seasons. And uh, the the championship spend since then, on, on the basis of the accounts that we've seen, is £1.6 billion. Now, to contextualise that in, in the case of the Premier League, if you take any two of Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool and Arsenal, they would easily cover the whole spend of the clubs in the Championship, League One and League Two together. So two clubs in the Premier League equals more than the spending of 72 clubs in the EFL. And some people... Uh, seem to think that perhaps that's not particularly good, particularly yeah. sustainable, and uh, some form of redistribution of uh, of wealth and success uh, is is necessary. Yes, <clears throat> like that Maoist Tracy Crouch. Um, Debashish Sikdar is a regular listener to our pod, and he has uh, a slightly complicated question, not as complicated as a question coming up about <laughs> buying houses in Preston. <laughs> Just a little spoiler alert for you. Um, but Demi says the Harry Kane saga in the summer 
made me wonder how realistic it is for players to buy themselves out of their contracts. Assuming Kane was on £15 million a year, he would have had to fork out £45 million to buy out the rest of his contract at Spurs, but would have been in for a massive payday from City, who would have been willing to dish out £100 million to Spurs. That's Demishish's emphasis on massive, by the way, not mine. And I like the way Demishish uses fork out and dish out to avoid saying pay all the time. It's good work. Um, could he have paid Spurs' contract fee and then maybe earn it back as a signing-on fee from City? So instead of paying £100 million to Spurs, they could have given him the £45 million and massive wages. Um, if that was a clause in Harry Kane's contract, then then yes, that, that would have been the case. Um, he would have been able to buy himself out of the contract by paying up the remaining uh, wages. However, such clauses are not common in English football. Um, they're... There are suggestions that uh, when players reach the age of 28 that you might be able to do that, but it's not yet been finalised. Um, I know in when we look at Spanish transfers, what normally happens is that the player has to pay the club from which he is presently employed the transfer fee and then has to recoup it from the the, the next club down the line, which, which has always seemed a bit strange to me, but uh, it's never been an issue. So unfortunately, um, unless uh, Harry Kane's representatives had ensured that such a clause was in his contract, um, he, he wouldn't have been able to do that. And uh, knowing what a uh, skilled negotiator Daniel Levy is, you know, he's, he's uh, He's he's very uh, very much into the attention to detail. Um, I, there would be no way that Spurs would have signed off on on such a contract because that would have tapered Harry contract sorry Harry, Harry Kane's uh, transfer value down significantly because it would have been forty five million pounds this year and then in another year's time down to thirty and so on. So I, I can't see Spurs ever uh, going along with that. Our next question comes from Greg Stock. Uh, Greg is an Exeter City fan, and he points out that it's a club run by Supporters Trust. And Greg says, what's the fundamental difference between private and supporter ownership and the advantages and disadvantages? Now, we do discuss Supporters Trust quite a lot, Kieran, but I'm happy to have a a small refresher course on the basics here for some of our newer listeners. Okay, I mean, there are uh, quite a few clubs, uh, both in England and Scotland, that are subject to ownership by by the supporters' trusts. Um, I, I would summarise it as follows. The, the advantages of private ownership is that if the owner is wealthy, then the owner, he or she or it, if it's some form of corporation, um, can easily provide funding uh, and liquidity very rapidly to allow that club to uh, accelerate its way through the divisions and uh, and achieve success. So, you know, we've we've seen we've seen the impact of private ownership at uh, Chelsea and Manchester City. Uh, and and the trophies that that's delivered, um, and and that's that's fine, um, provided the owner uh, continues to have interest in the football club, uh, continues to have personal circumstances which allows them to fund that club, um, and they and continues in good health. We we saw you know we'd be talking about uh, uh, Preston. Uh, recently in Trevor Hemmings and he sadly passed away and there's been issues as far as uh, Bolton Wanderers when their uh, owner Eddie Davis uh, was was poorly in health and decided to to relinquish control of the club what happens um, and, and this is one of the issues which has uh, actually been discussed at length in in Tracy Crouch's report and I think she puts it very succinctly there are far too many football clubs who are one bad owner or one ill owner Away from potential extinction, and and this this is something which I think uh, yeah, the, the the private route uh, does does have both pluses and minuses. Um, the the other advantage of uh, having private uh, company or a private individual is concerned is that to an extent they are in a position that they can put onto the board of directors professional people who are perhaps non-partisan. So having a chief executive who looks at the club 
purely from a business point of view and, and purely trying to deliver on the uh, demands of the owner in terms of setting a budget, uh, you know, expansion, uh, marketing, sponsorship, all of these things can have its benefits. And, and then they would also be able to employ a, you know, a professional HR director and finance director and so on. Um, and that that can, not always, but that can benefit the club. It, of course, it comes down to the talents of the people involved. When it comes down to the advantages of having a trust, the trusts um, tend to be people from the locale um, who are fans of the club. They will be focusing on the sustainability of the club because they've supported the club for many years and they see themselves as custodians and want to be able to hand over the club to somebody else at some point in the future. Um, So they will have long-term rather than short-term viewpoint. Um, The the downside is we've seen uh, seen Wickham Wanderers and we've seen Portsmouth both uh, go into trust ownership and then come out of it again because the trust has either said we've not got the money to take the club any further or um, sometimes the people at the trust say we're not sure that we've necessarily got the the right skill set because you can have well-intentioned and incredibly well-meaning and incredibly hard-working people from the supporters trust who don't necessarily have the skill set which is is going to take a a million or multi-million pound business yeah, forwards yeah. so so th- those would be the pluses and the minuses um and you know I'm, I'm not going to say that one always works and the other one doesn't or vice versa um it, it does come down to uh you know personal circumstances um some of the the the, the, the supporters trust owned clubs are absolutely magnificent in in what they've achieved and some of the privately owned clubs especially those clubs where uh, the owners see themselves as the custodians and and we've we've spoken to the people at Lincoln and Tranmere and Accrington and so on who very much uh, have that uh, have that perspective Um, you know potentially sort of have the best the best of both worlds. Uh, speaking of Accrington, Kieran, it's quite possible that that might be our second live gig. Uh, negotiations are, I believe, taking place at uh, a high level between Producer Guy and the Accrington version of Producer Guy, uh, <laughs> which might also be Producer Guy, knowing Producer Guy. Uh, but yes, uh, the, our, our, our first one at Wimbledon uh, is uh, sold out. Essentially, uh, there may be one or two uh, spares still left if you want to apply for tickets. Uh, but yes, hopefully we'll be uh, heading to Accrington, and then we're thinking about Plymouth, I believe, uh, yep. and possibly um, this next city. Uh, John Lindsay is a Liverpool fan living in Northern Ireland, uh, Belfast, I believe. And John says, "I find it hard enough to get tickets a few times a year for Liverpool games. Never mind weekly. Luckily, most Liverpool games are televised." But 3pm kickoffs are never shown on TV here, although they are in the Republic of Ireland. Surely there can be no financial loss from showing them here too. Now, I'm almost tempted to say, Kieran, we should start the answer to this question 900 years ago uh, and work our way through to the partition and the various reasons why there are two separate entities on that island, but I think I think we're we're, we're above that, Kieran. We could just <laughs> we could just <laughs> we could just answer the question and just. John, John Lizzie can thank you, Lucky Stars. I didn't mention this to Ed because the whole world will be getting a 45 minute lecture potted Irish history from a young man who's an eighth Irish, but very proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, well, in, in answer to, to John's question, and um, actually, we, we potentially will be, uh, we, we have been asked to. Uh, appear in Merseyside and Belfast, so Indeed, actually, yeah. you know, two, two elements of yeah. his, uh, two elements of his uh, his his connections are, are included there. Um, the issue is is under uh, un- under UK law there is a three pm blackout. Yeah, um, still, yeah. and and I think that's also the case in in some some other countries in Europe as well. Um, as far as the domestic game is concerned, and the reason for this is that if uh, if if there were Premier League matches or uh, EFL matches being broadcast live at three pm 
could that have a detrimental impact upon attendances at other Premier League and EFL matches? Now, um, we've seen the the impact of the Champions League, for example, on uh, on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights when there are EFL matches taking place. And if you compare the average attendance at those matches to Saturday attendances, they are lower, but there could be other factors involved. You know, yeah. it's, it's difficult to attend, especially from a away fan's point of view. It could be a school night, uh, making it more difficult for children to attend. But uh, the the there is at, as as present um there is a a blackout rule and and that affects both uh sort of the, the all of all of the domestic parts of of the uk so um therefore what do we have in the republic of ireland well in the republic you are able to access sky uh, in terms of their share of matches bt uh, and amazon um, and between them, they have 200 matches. But in addition, in Ireland, there is something called Premier Sports. And Premier yeah. Sports, I think it's an offshoot of Sky, and they have a further 50 matches um, which are made available, and those include the 3 p.m. Saturday matches. So, for example, uh, Liverpool's match against Norwich, which took place uh, this weekend or the last weekend on Saturday, that did appear on Premier Sports, and you have to pay an additional subscription for that. So I can understand John's frustration, um, but uh, I think if it uh, if Northern Ireland was given a separate deal, um, that would cause some political issues um, because it would be deemed to be treated as a separate entity, um, yeah. and we, you know, I, I don't particularly want to open that particular. Pandora's box from a political perspective because um, uh, I, I, I get enough uh, corrections and, and advice on Twitter as it is. Yeah, well, all the trouble is with that Pandora's box is you open it and there's a can of worms inside it, uh, and that's, which is, as you say, uh, let's. I'll, I'll go and talk to Ed about it later on. I'll, I'll come back to you tomorrow morning after he's <laughs> put me right. Uh, our next question comes from Adam K, uh, and it's about a concept I didn't know was actually allowed. Uh, Adam says, in the summer, Macclesfield FC signed Jacob Hansen on a dual registration with FC United of Manchester. How does that work and what are the pros and cons? Well, I wasn't aware of it either or either. Uh, so, so thanks very much, for Adam, for, for bringing it to our attention. Um, the, the issue of dual registration, it only applies, A, if you are a non-league player, and B, if you are a non-contract player. So, so what is a non-contract player? A non-contract player is uh, a, a, an individual who is not paid a set amount per week. So therefore, he's likely to be given a, a match fee in the matches in which he is picked and not given a match fee or not given expenses for the remainder. So, so his registration is held by a, a parent club. And what the parent club will say is... We still want this 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 young player to be given access to as much football as possible. But if we're honest, he's only going to be a fringe player with us. So you know, right. if, if he's left back, he's going to be our second or third choice. Therefore, he's not going to be he's not going to be getting you know thirty or forty games a season. If he's you know he's, if, if people want to play football, and uh, I can assure you, uh, as as a former left back, being the third choice left back really isn't a lot of fun uh, so, yeah, on, on Sunday mornings when yeah and, and I was very good at cutting our oranges as well yeah that, that was the one skill I learned but it was still sort of you know you ended up running the line or or, or having to go and you know, sort of look after 12 tracksuits um, so in in respect of you know, slightly higher up than uh, the Manchester Chartered Accountant Sunday uh, League uh, Division 2 um, players under dual registration, can play for more than one club, but they've got to be in separate leagues. So oh, right. it could be that you're something like uh, you know, National League, North or South, and then the other league would be in uh, you know, a, a, a sphere below. So this is, this is to prevent conflicts of interest arising. Um, ultimately, one club is deemed to be the, the, the parent club who has first dibs right. uh, okay. on the player. But they they tend to be quite geographically close to one another, so you know normally the call will go out on the Saturday morning uh, or the Friday night. Look, we, we ain't, you're not in the squad. Do you want to go and play for your other club? Okay. 
did you have a little tracksuit looking after spreadsheet? Of course, of course, you of did. course. Yeah. I had to, you know, and especially being colourblind, I had to have special special <laughs> stickers for them to, to get make sure the right right tracksuit for the right player. Uh, Joe, I, I I really felt for you yesterday. I was explaining to everybody in the Porter's Arms about your predicament. And we were all just saying, "How's he going to get through the whole weekend without a spreadsheet?" It's just like the one thing. What's he going to do? The Baroness is going to have a have a work cut out. There's going to be like a lion pacing up and down in there. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Rob Lagham has our next question. And Rob Lagham says, I've heard it suggested on two different podcasts recently. Don't worry, Rob, we still love you. Uh, (laughs) A value of as much as a million pounds can be afforded to a single goal scored in the Premier League. So, for example, Damari Gray, by scoring twice in the early stages of his uh, move to Everton, could be said to have already paid back a substantial proportion of his transfer fee. Is this, Rob says... This figure simply plucked from midair, or is there any truth to it? Well, let's find out because I don't know about the other pods you listen to, Rob. But on this pod, I promise you, there is no plucking. This <laughs> show, our age, exactly. This show does not give a pluck, does it, Kieran? We do not pluck anything out of well, anyway. We've got, we've got manscaped. We don't need to pluck. <laughs> Oh, ouch. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, back to Rob's question. Um, in the Premier League, there is something called a merit payment, and the, the merit payment is linked to a club's final position in the table. Now, the merit payment for 2020-21 was £2.2 million. So if you finished 17th instead of 16th, you got an extra £2.2 million. So therefore, scoring one goal could be the difference between two positions. And in fact, if you know, I, look, I took a look at last season's Premier League and Newcastle finished 12th and Southampton finished 15th, and there was only two points between them. Mm. But the difference in terms of merit payments worked out as uh, £8.8 million. So uh, it's more than £1 million. And it could be argued that if you score the goal, which is the difference between finishing fourth and fifth in the Premier League and therefore qualifying for the Champions League and not the Champions League, that is worth in the region of up to £100 million uh, if you have a successful season in the Champions League. The difference between finishing 17th and 18th is the difference between another season in the Premier League and uh, dropping out. So therefore, you're looking at parachute payments of parachute payments differential of 60 million. But the most important, the most valuable goal in football is in the championship playoff final taking place at Wembley. And that is worth £180 million to the person who scores it, or rather, should we say, to his club. Yeah. Uh, Our next question comes from Richard. Uh, 
Now, as you know, Kieran, I'm not particularly keen on uh, questions from just one name, but it occurred to me that occasionally it might be that producer Guy is distracted by that big bank of TV screens he has with the stocks and shares coming in. (laughs) And Richard probably did put his surname down, but Guy just was whooping with delight at one of his shares going up. Uh, Although they can go down as well as up, I'm told. Um, Richard Richard says, we have seen a number of teams offer kits without sponsors' names where they are betting companies or the equivalent. I've always wanted that option and would even pay five to ten pounds more to compensate the sponsors. Although surely the bulk of their return comes from the name being seen on TV rather than the chest of the average fan. Would sponsorless shirts ever take off I, well yes is the answer to that i i actually can't think of any teams that are selling shirts current shirts without the sponsors names apart from when they're selling them to to children when they can't have betting sites on the kiddie shirts well um you'd be wrong there kevin because oh, would I? you like would the, i'm not i'm not worried about that kevin it's not the first time that's happened in fact it's twice today ali's used that expression uh, <laughs> <laughs> um West Ham uh, give fans the option of a shirt with Betway and a shirt not with Betway. Uh, Both shirts cost the same price, uh, Uh £60. Okay, that's interesting. Did you say 60 quid? 60 quid. Is that how much they're costing these days? Yes. Holy yeah, mother yeah. of God. Really? Yeah, yeah just wait. wait. If, if you're looking for a, a Liverpool or Manchester United shirt, you're not going to get much much change out of 70. Yeah, they're, they're, they're even more expensive, I believe. Kieran, you, yeah. you, you Brighton fans may be shameless enough to look for a Liverpool or Man United shirt, but of course I'm not looking for a Liverpool or Man United shirt. <laughs> what are the circumstances in which I'd be looking for a Liverpool or Man United shirt? You know what the Porter's Arms is like. We had, to, <laughs> we, had to get, we had to get permission from several people to even allow you in. Yes. Walking in there with a Liverpool or Man United shirt. <laughs> Um, so, um, in in terms of Richard's viewpoint, uh, I, I think if if clubs thought that there was sufficient demand, they they, they probably would go for this. Um, yeah. At, at the same time, I think fans are, are sort of looking back are quite nostalgic about some of the former sponsors yes, of the club. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember West Ham being sponsored by Dagenham Motors, and, and, yes, you, and you yeah, did yeah. feel proper East End, yeah. didn't you? Well, yeah, when you when you saw that as a sponsor's name. Um, and uh, I think when when the sponsors were first available, um, the, the perception was the fans wanted something as authentic as they could possibly get, and therefore the sponsors' names were included. He's, he's absolutely right that from a from a marketing point of view, it makes zero difference as far as the sponsors are concerned. You know, they they are they are they are looking for eyeballs for their product and and eyeballs come in the form of TV audiences both domestically and around the world not from some sweaty ass bloke on on a, on a tube train with a kebab dribbling down his shirt. Yeah, that that's that's not going to make you want to uh, uh, buy a product of the sponsor, is it? No, it's probably not. But I, from a Betway point of view, you, you, they, yeah, they can't be that happy if they're looking out at sixty thousand people in the stadium, and twenty thousand of them have got shirts on without their name. It's they're obviously quite philosophical about it. I, I, I think I think they they it allows Betway to go forward and say, look, we know that there is an issue as far as gambling is concerned, right, okay. and therefore we can take the moral high ground on this by by giving people the option, and you know we're we're magnanimous enough to say have it with or without. Yeah, uh, Thomas Keane has another question that we're often asked, and again, it's one of those where I'm happy to. Uh, go back and, and do a refresher course. Uh, and Thomas Keane's question is related to the split between men and women's football teams when they're under the same owner, such as Liverpool. How does FFP work in that situation? Are they counted as one entity? And if not, can one use the other to help them stay within FFP rules by, say, allowing the women's team to have access to food and beverage outlets to boost revenue? Um. In terms of uh, financial fair play, or, or they, they 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 prefer to call it profitability and sustainability. Uh, yes. No, yeah, no, yeah. nobody does that. Nobody does that. You know, it's a bit like uh, you know other 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 new phrases which we've never got round to uh, adopting. Um, 
under the both the Premier League uh, and UEFA and EF rules, EFL rules, um, the uh, and any losses incurred by the women's team are excluded, or any costs ex- incurred by the women's team are excluded from the overall calculation of of FFP. So, um, putting through the um, you know putting through catering sales into the women's team or the men's team wouldn't actually make. Um, a lot of difference because uh, you, you can't you can't end up double counting from them. Um, in terms of the WSL itself, uh, the, I think in, in the women's game, uh, and, and I have been, uh, in fact, as uh, when when Storm Eustace uh, came through at twelve thirty seven pm the, the other day, I was in the middle. I was in, I was in the middle of a call with some people uh, from the women's game about uh, about some finance issues. Um, th- there is a concern that they want uh, sustainability within the game. Clearly, you know, we, we we've spoken about what happened at Coventry United and how yes, you know, it, it, it was literally minutes to midnight as far as the the existence of the club was concerned. Um, and there is a concern that, uh, that they don't want to go down that particular route. So there is a there is a, a, a different form of financial fair play. In existence, in the form of a wage cap, um, where the uh, wages are, are budgeted to be no more than forty percent of the overall income budget, and that includes sponsorship money and uh, other types of injections, which, which might seem quite low. Uh, you know, if, if we think that clubs in the EFL uh, Championship, on average, are, are spending one hundred and seven pounds for every hundred pounds worth of income, but that's not particularly sustainable either. Um, I, I think what's really interesting, as far as the, the the wage cap in the WSL is concerned, is that if you have players, and and the the average salary uh, for a WSL player is, I, I was told was around about twenty seven grand, but the, the top players are on uh, on a significant multiple of that. Um, because they are they are keen to attract players into the the game what happens is that if you uh if if you can have a package which includes things such as uh, university education I've, I've taught people from the wsl uh, on master's courses for example so those courses if paid for by the club wouldn't be included as part of uh, their remuneration package for for ffp purposes if the if the player if one of the, the female players is involved in community schemes or has a has a a broader role at the club uh, you can make adjustments for that as well so it, it i think they are trying to be um very progressive, uh, very measured, very inclusive, um, and also to to acknowledge that uh, you know just as in the men's game, it, it is a limited career in terms of the number of years, and and to give people uh, the opportunity to to develop other parts of their their skill set, which can be used in in, in a post football career environment. Mm. Uh, you said Storm Eustace, Kieran. I'm, I'm just checking that you meant Storm Eunice, or whether, <laughs> whether in, in fact you had a posher Storm down in Sussex than the rest of us had, <laughs> which wouldn't surprise me at all. Basically, uh, we've got Storm Franklin on the way. I think um, it's already here. No, is it? Storm, Storm Franklin sounds quite nice, doesn't it? But clearly not. Um, our next question comes from Nick Pooley. This is our penultimate question before we start playing Lancashire based Monopoly. Uh, Nick Pooley, I'm sure, you know, you know, it's one of those names. I'm sure I know Nick Pooley, but I can't for the life of me remember. I, I'm worried that it might be my brother in law and I've forgotten his name. I just <laughs> can't think. It just sounds like I'm sure I know a Nick Pooley somewhere or other, or I've been sued by him. I don't know. But anyway, but Nick Pooley's question is an interesting one because Nick says in 2022 23, UA, uh, FIFA, I beg your pardon. FIFA are introducing new reforms on the number of loan players one team can have to stop teams stockpiling talent, brackets, Chelsea, Wolves, etc., uh, where teams can only loan out eight players over the age of 22 and six the season after. Could that result in more groups, teams using the multiple ownership model who could then trade players for nominal fees to prevent this? Or could it heighten the calls for B teams in English football as Celtic and Rangers are trialling in Scotland? Yeah, I I think this is a cracking uh, observation here from Nick. Um, 
Uh, FIFA deserve, in principle, some credit for yeah. what, what they are uh, doing here. There is a, there is a danger of of factory farming of of talent, um, and that that's not good for the game. Um, the lack of competitiveness in in too many domestic leagues is uh, is evidence of that. Um, these rules initially uh, are only going to be in respect of international deals, so you oh, could still oh, okay, right. you you could still uh, have lots of players going out on loans domestically. But FIFA are putting pressure on individual football associations to bring this in on a domestic level by 2025. So uh, you know the writing is is on the wall. Um, but I mean, you know, again, as Nick correctly identifies, if if the player is uh, is is younger than twenty two, um, it would be excluded. Also, if the players are club trained, so you know, if, if you've had a player who's who's you you brought through the academy and he's now twenty two or twenty three, he wouldn't count as well. But it it does stop uh, those clubs for whom we say. Uh, have have tried to accelerate success historically. Uh, have have bought twenty players uh, on on a fairly random basis. Uh, you know, ten of them turn out to be good, and ten of them turn out to be turkeys. And you just go and loan them out on a regular basis because nobody's prepared to take them off your hands because you're paying them crazy wages. So, yeah. so, so that that is a positive. Um, in, in terms of way of circumventing the system, he he's absolutely right. The multi club ownership model is is a vehicle through which this could be avoided uh, because you you just sell them you know, you just sell them for a thousand pounds to to uh, another club and, uh, and and then you've got a buyback option should the player so so yeah, that that is certainly one way of circumventing the rules um b teams uh, i think b teams are something that the the big clubs would like i mean this this was part of project big picture in effect um but I think they would struggle to to push that through. Uh, I think that they would try to sell it on the case of you know you could be seeing the you know somebody who'll be a Manchester United regular in three or four t- three or four years. But I th- you know if if I was a crew fan, I'd much rather be a crew fan than than have, having going along to Gresty Road to watch Manchester United be yeah, because cool. it's it's just not part of yeah. culture, history, heritage. You know all, all the things which we we tend to fall back on in terms of. Uh, football fans' identity. So, um, what's happened in Scotland is that the B teams have become new teams who are who are playing and have been added into, uh, I, I think, the, the the individual leagues rather than replacing uh, individual clubs or or effectively taking the name of those clubs. Well, of course, in days gone by, you would happily go and see your reserve team play if you could. Uh, yes. I really miss reserve team. Funny enough, the loan system, we're recording this on Sunday night, quite late on Sunday night, because you've only just got your power back. Uh, <laughs> I imagine it'll be some time before that. I like the fact you you tweeted about the fact that your wine, your wine cooler was offline, which I presume you meant your fridge. Uh, that- no. Oh, no. Oh, okay. You got to- Good. Well, not, not, I've not got one, clearly. But, uh- well, you haven't. Yeah. Were, were you having to pound your own quinoa by hand? That's- <laughs> yes, no, I know. The, the, the load system was something that we discussed at length yesterday before, during, and after the game because, obviously, the likes of Chelsea, Man United, and Liverpool very, very, very rarely will get a player in on loan. But, of course, mm. our best player was out. Our player of the season so far, Conor Gallagher, couldn't play against Chelsea because that's his parent club, and that's 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 a frustration. It's you know you, some teams are two, you know two players down in big games already at the start of you know it's, you know it's, it doesn't it, it doesn't, distorts competitiveness it, as well it, because it, it does yes. Sorry, yep. Kevin. Yeah, go on. You, well, you, I, I'm just saying it does, and you were going to explain why, and I've ruined it. But go on. Well, well, I, I remember about it was about four or five seasons ago. I think Chelsea had at least a dozen players out on loan at other, I think, Premier League clubs, and this meant that when Chelsea were playing against those clubs, clearly those sides were uh, going yeah, to be weakened. Yeah, of course, yeah. and it could, you know, and therefore it could be argued that that gave them a competitive advantage in terms of a winning the Premier League and b qualifying for the Champions League. Uh, so, so you know, that is certainly an area which which needs careful scrutiny. It does. And we, we Palace have obviously got a good relationship with Chelsea because we've had some good players from them, like mm. Loftus, Loftus-Cheek, for example. But again, you know, we're not competing with them for Champions League places, but it helps the teams around us who are in the relegation battle. It helps them that we can't play 
mm. our best player two games a season. Anyway, our final question uh, has been hinted at <laughs> for most of the poll, and it comes from Johnny Summer. Uh, Johnny says, I have a scenario. Brackets, stick with me, Kevin. Uh, it's all right, Johnny, you're fine. I like scenarios. It's facts I struggle with. Uh, so Johnny, <laughs> Johnny's scenario is this. I win the Euro Millions. This is Johnny, not me, by the way. If I win the Euro Millions, I wouldn't be doing what Johnny's going to do with it. Uh, I wouldn't be doing this pod for a start off. <laughs> uh, I win the Euro Millions and I buy 1,000 houses at £100,000 each, then rent them out for £500 a month. And then there's more brackets where Johnny says, yes, that is how much houses cost up north. Then Johnny says, I then buy my club, Preston North End. I like the sound of that. The Johnny Summer Stadium. That's good. Uh, would it then be possible to sign all those properties over to the club so that PNE owned them and the 500000 extra profit a month goes back into the club? They spend loads more on players and wages and finally get into the Premier League. I then sell the club and get most of my money back on properties as a new owner would be purchasing them as well. Would that work? Probably not, Johnny, but whatever gets you to sleep at the moment. <laughs> it's, just, it's just one of those questions. It's one. Of, it's why I like football fans so much. It's just one of those questions that you know there's been a discussion in a pub in Preston somewhere. <laughs> yes. Before or after a game, you go, well, I tell you what, if I win, I win, I win, I buy all these houses. And one of his mates goes, that's a great idea. Why has nobody done that before? And the rest of his mates go, that's that's just not that's, so. I don't know. Maybe his one mate is right. No, I've just made up. I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, well, first of all, Johnny, congratulations <laughs> on having a fantastic name. <laughs> it's a great name, I, isn't it? I mean, jo- Johnny, so I, I feel that I, I, I went. I, I checked Starship Troopers, which is one of my favourite <laughs> movies of all time, because it sounded like one of the like one of the people in Starship Troopers. Sadly, wasn't involved, um, but. Uh, I, I went to um, the EFL regulations, and can I, can I just in- point out, Kieran, as well, it, it, uh, a Johnny Summer is something that every teenage boy should have at least once, isn't it? Just, it just it's, a, it's, a, it's a brilliant name, Johnny Summer. John Summer, not so good. Johnny Summer, great. Anyway, back to the EFL regulations. Yeah, so um, EFL regulations, Appendix A, page one one eight of the <laughs> EFL handbook. So, so yeah, I, even even though I was in lockdown, I was still going through my handbook uh, so, so with, with my Davy lamp on, just just in case, just in case we uh, we, we managed to actually record the show. Um, and, and I came across something called relevant turnover. So for FFP purposes, um, relevant turnover is the income which is included in your profitability and sustainability calculations. Um, and it specifically does allow stadium rental. Um, so if, if we take the case of MK Dons, uh, you know, they've got a they've, they've got a hotel there which is built built into the stadium. And if you think about Bolton Wanderers, they've they've got uh, they've got a stadium which is so they've got a hotel which is effectively on site. So those probably would both be allowed. Now, when it comes to other income, which would be rental of nature, um, according to the EFL handbook, that would be dealt with on a case by case handbook. Um, my understanding is that the EFL is likely to take a dim view because the purpose of Preston North End is to be first and foremost a football club and if you've got this number of properties being rented out it would be first and foremost a property development company and therefore um, wouldn't be allowed and and, and I think a, a good analogy here would be looking at Stoke City because Stoke City are actually a subsidiary of Bet365 so if uh, if Stoke City were allowed to include Bet365 profits for PNS purposes they would be able to sign Mbappe and and Ronaldo and right, Messi right, and, right. and 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 everybody else so um I think it's a, it's it's clearly a well thought out idea and it definitely has come from a pub because it's, it's got those, those those fingerprints all over it but I'm afraid Johnny I think it's highly unlikely that it would be allowed we have seen, Kieran, in, in the past, we saw Liverpool buying up properties around Anfield as they became available to facilitate building the new stand more easily. Mm. Steve, Steve Parrish has talked about possibly having to make offers on one or two houses around Sellers Park to make building our new stands uh, possible, though it seems far away. So how would that, how would that work then? How would the, the, 
how would those clubs put those costs down? Because obviously they're, they're spending quite a lot of money on, on properties around the grounds. Yep. Um, as far as the, the cost of the properties were concerned, those would be deemed to be infrastructure costs right. and as such would be exempt from FFP. Um, if if let's say that the stadium was going to be built in 2025 and you've you've bought half a dozen properties in 2022 i suspect the rental income would be allowed because it could be directly linked to a big infrastructure project of the club itself although you know the the lawyers and accountants and other big wigs would be going through the the rule with a fine tooth comb of course. Uh, always good to end the pod on a fine tooth comb. Uh, thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to make a small contribution to our always free to air podcast, and I, people have asked me recently why I keep saying always free to air, uh, it's because it annoys producer guy, basically, because <laughs> apparently we could make a lot more money by charging you all a quid to listen. Uh, but we won't do that. Uh, but if you would like to make a small contribution, then you can do it by going to patreon.com slash price of football. If you have a question for any of our future questions pod, it's questions at price of football.com. Although please bear with us. We do have quite a long uh, backlog of questions to get through. Uh, in the meantime, I will hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary very well. And I can't tell you how happy I am that I'm able to say that because I really wasn't looking forward to uh, introducing a pod by saying, oh, Kerry Day, uh, we have no pod. It's lovely to do it, Kieran. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, well, as always, uh, thank you for the engagement. Thank you for the feedback that you give to us. Um, we, uh, yeah, we, we do try to uh, take on board your comments. Um, if you want to support the show, uh, Patreon is, is one vehicle for as little as uh, £1 a month. Uh, clearly, also, thank you very much for those people who bought tickets for the live show. Um, although, uh, again, with our slightly... Uh, slightly let's let's not be very commercial approach taken by both kevin and myself we've decided to give away all the profits to the the save the rochdale fund because it's it's more important than us and, and i think yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we will acknowledge that um but uh, th- there's another way that you can uh, support the show and, and that's by going on to that uh, that apple icon uh, the apple podcast app or, or spotify app or whoever you use and and giving us a review because uh, using the the algorithms of of those uh, those huge organizations it helps us in the charts and it helps us to have credibility when trying to get sponsors and uh, and also with uh, trying to persuade guests to come on the show we, and we've got some cracking guests lined up by the way um so it, it doesn't matter what you say so it's like if you give us five stars apparently that's the important thing you you could say you'd rather the show was presented by eric idol and dame <laughs> helen mirren because you felt it would be more down with the kids than the, the two old geezers that are doing it at present. Uh, oh, you've, you've, you had me at Dame Helen Mirren then. Well, all right. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the